Like Dorothy's journey, my twists and turns to the place where I stand right now have been more emotional and spiritual, more internal than external. This is not a story of hardship in the sense that I've always had privilege. Like Dorothy, I had a pretty average upbringing. And also like Dorothy, I've been looking for home for as long as I can remember. So it's really good to finally be here. (laughs) Religion has always been a really huge part of my life. My parents were baby boomer hippies who found Jesus. I say were because they're, they're both still living, um, but their lives have been marked by such constant movement and journey. The Jesus freak hippies that they once were are now long gone. Shortly after I was born in the 1970s, my father, an Episcopalian priest in Northern Virginia, began moving ideologically right. It was a slow creep, but looking back, all the signs were there. Over the years, first crucifixes and then Eastern Orthodox icons began appearing on our walls. My dad's Episcopalian congregation, who in the 70s had dabbled in things like speaking in tongues and the laying on of hands, started complaining about my dad's affinity for incense and his growing insistence on a very Catholic-looking high church liturgy. At home, my mother pulled out of her local women's group, and for a while, she rose high in the ranks of a national organization called Feminists for Life, until one day, she set her jaw and defiantly declared that she would be leaving that group too, as she no longer considered herself a feminist. That was the direction my family went, and my brothers and I were put into Catholic school, Jesus was slowly taking over my home. But this was not the kindly shepherd Jesus of my youth. This new Jesus didn't ordain women, insisted that we pray constantly, and appeared physically in the bread and wine that we consumed every week in church. I realized that none of us were in Kansas anymore when my parents had us all baptized into the Antiochian Orthodox Church when I was 13. I don't know how much you remember about being 13, but wow. (laughs) It is a complicating and confusing and difficult time for anyone. And my mother sat me down, looked me in the eye, and explained that I was no longer to believe in lots of things, including a lot of my own rights as a woman. My name was changed because Megan is not an Orthodox name. In church, I would be Marina. It was also at this age that I was realizing slowly that I had a terrible, agonizing, embarrassing secret. I had a crush on my best friend, who was a girl. The realization that I was gay was too scary to consciously accept, but self-hate began growing at that age, encouraged by the fertilizer of my parents' newfound faith. Now, I hope no one's too offended if I refer to Eastern Orthodoxy as fertilizer. It's (laughs) that kind of thing where I can make fun of my own family, but if someone else said that, I would be offended. After my family converted, I remained Eastern Orthodox for over 20 years. Eastern Orthodoxy is that sibling that I cannot agree with, but will always love. 
And if I'm comparing myself to Dorothy, then converting to Eastern Orthodoxy at age 13 was the tornado that turned my house and my life upside down. I've always felt kind of out of place in my family, and maybe we all do to an extent, but my two younger brothers just ate up the Eastern Orthodoxy thing. They dove right in. And by the time we had moved from Virginia to Maryland, my dad started a small mission church in a Baltimore suburb. It just exploded. There were so many people joining this church. Eastern Orthodoxy has recently exploded in the U.S. as disillusioned millennials have been reaching for something with substance, and Orthodoxy has a lot of substance. (laughs) By the time I was in college, my dad and my brothers were renovating a small stone building in Linthicum that was to become Holy Cross Antiochian Orthodox Church. In a bid to win parental approval and desperately clinging to the belief that I needed to pray the gay away, I had chosen to attend a tiny, extremely conservative Catholic college in the Virginia Hills. I stand before you bearing the distinction of being the only non-Catholic to have ever graduated from this particular school. And when I went to my dad during freshman year, worried about this very fact, the fact that Everyone who had gone to this school that was not Catholic before me had either dropped out or converted. (laughs) My father laughed smugly and reassured me that those people, meaning Protestants, were less than Catholic. We Orthodox are more than Catholic. So that was the attitude in the house. And by the time I had graduated with my bachelor's and moved home, Holy Cross, Antiochian Orthodox Church, under the ministry of my very reverend dad, had amassed a large, devoted, and almost cult-like group of converts. I fell into and enveloped myself in it as if it were a soft, warm blanket. It numbed me from everything. I married young, had three kids before turning 30, and kept hoping that if I could just force myself in, just lock myself into a heterosexual life, the torment of my true feelings and my true self would disappear. I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years, attending three-hour-long church services, fasting, praying, trying to be good enough that maybe one day God would reach down and just make me attracted to my husband, or I would even settle for less, just make me stop being attracted to women. I have this little flicker of a memory, this memory where I must have been three or four, maybe five years old, and I'm walking through my father's church. It's back when we were Episcopalian, and it's Sunday, And the worship service is over, and I'm walking down the hallway with all of these classrooms and all of these doors, kind of like we have over here. Um, The different religious education classes are happening, and I'm kind of toddling down, and the doors are open, and I can hear bits of conversation, and I pass a room full of teens who, from my perspective, seem incredibly sophisticated and old at the time, and I can hear them And they're debating something about God, something that seems very complex 
to my little kid mind, and I keep walking, and in the next room is a group of adults, and they sound like they're arguing, they're unhappy, again, something about God. And I keep walking and walking, and I realize that there are maybe a hundred people in this building discussing and theologizing and of course I'm I'm you know a little kid I don't know what theologizing is but I just get this overwhelming feeling this feeling that's so clear just right in my soul this clarity I have rarely felt ever since that said God is love and that's all you really need to know all these debates and complications are not important love is the thing that's important. And I realized many, many years later that it must have been at that moment that I became a Unitarian Universalist. (laughs) I have always been uninterested in parsing the details of understanding the makeup of the Trinity or all of these little details that we do have to learn in seminary. And my God is really big. My God is so big that I don't really like the word God. Um, And I could never get on board with the idea of hell, which is a pretty big deal for conservatives. But I just secretly, quietly didn't believe in it. And all of those years that I desperately tried to be a good Orthodox Christian, I followed those strict rules about fasting strict rules against feminism and against homosexuality, and I felt like all of those rules applied to myself, but I never really felt they applied to anyone else. And it's so crazy how we can do that, how we can be so hard on ourselves. It's so easy to extend compassion to others, but why is it so hard to love ourselves? My daughter, my oldest, was a very cranky baby. But she grew into a really well-behaved, sweet kid. And then next came Adam, and he was different. A pretty easygoing baby. He grew up into just a tortured, seemingly obsessive-compulsive toddler. He was diagnosed with autism at age three. And autism tormented his mind. He would spend these tense hours not playing with toys, but like perfectly lining them up and then adjusting them and then having a full meltdown when, you know, one little toy car would inevitably roll a little or something. He didn't seem capable of happiness or play. And he wasn't learning language. He didn't look me in the eye. He barely looked at me at all. He was isolated in his head, and it was agony for him, and I could not reach him. (laughs) And my faith crumbled. This tiny, desperate, clinging faith I had, which I had already openly described as more of a faith in my family and their religion than my own belief, I... I couldn't bring myself to believe in a loving God that would torture my sweet baby. Christianity had no good answer for me, only these infuriating platitudes like everything happens for a reason and God has a plan. Well, I hate God's plan sometimes, and I hated it then, and God certainly never consulted me about his plan for my sweet baby. 
Still, to leave the faith would mean leaving everything and everyone I had known. I grew up in a very cloistered environment. I didn't know there were people that were not conservative. I had no income. My resume was blank. And I knew that I had a big secret to keep from everyone that I was gay and another big secret in my disbelief. So the years went by, and I suffered from depression, and I'm sure my children suffered from my having depression. And one day, when my daughter was about 10, I was just agonizing over all of this and feeling stifled, and the pain of all the years of suppression and submission. And a really, really kind, compassionate friend asked me, what would you want for your daughter? From the moment that question was raised, I realized my life could never be the same. My life looked completely different from the perspective of what am I modeling to Hannah? What do I want her to learn? Do I want Hannah to learn that this is what a healthy relationship is, what a marriage should be, putting up with each other because God said so? Do I want her to learn that being a woman is simply a measure of how many babies you produce? When I left Eastern Orthodoxy, I left utterly alone. No one came with me, even God. With no friends or family, I learned pretty quickly what poverty was. It's amazing how fast poverty just rises up out of the ground when you're vulnerable. It swallows you and isolates you. All I had ever known was church, so I sought out a church as a support system. I didn't know anything about Protestantism at all, but I'd heard of Unitarians. I'd heard that they were people that were okay with gay people. So (laughs) I couldn't even imagine what that would look like or what that would mean. But about seven years ago, I walked into First Unitarian in downtown Baltimore. And if you've ever been there, it's really architecturally something. It's not your usual UU church building. It's historic and looks like a Catholic cathedral, complete with this enormous Tiffany mural of the Last Supper. You just can't get away from the Christian imagery. It's beautiful, but different. And Reverend David Carl Olson was warm and kind and completely my own personal Glinda the Good Witch. <laughs> and he would like being described that way. <laughs> During the worship service, it seemed like the affirmations just kept coming from the very beginning. You are welcome here, was stated and restated so many times in the hymns, in the readings. And that mean little voice in the back of my head would say, except you, Megan, you're not welcome here. And before I could even fully form the thought, there would be another reminder now from the choir and now from passing of the peace or joys and sorrows that I am welcome. I've never really felt welcome in a church, not welcome as I am, without some sort of understanding that eventually I will become more welcome when I'm less of a sinner. In that congregation, I found not saints, but seekers just as Dorothy 
didn't find folks who already knew where the Emerald City was. She found folks who were seeking something and were willing to walk with her. Supportive, welcoming UUs, walk with me. And the more I learned about Unitarianism, the more I realized I was already a Unitarian, the more I learned about Universalism, the more I realized the same. This was everything my soul had yearned for since that moment as a small child in the hallway of the church, recognizing that in my mind, in, in my world, from my perspective, God is love, and that for me, that's all that matters. That love is all that matters. And I love the seeking. I love the searching. I love the learning. I see the holy not in ancient icons, but in the energetic life force, in living people, in all of you. I'm focused not on heaven, but on this life. And these differences don't make me better than my Orthodox family, but I have learned that they emphatically do not make me worse. When I began seminary, my stated goal was to make friends with Jesus. He was the wizard of my Oz, the one who had sent me on this bizarre journey and had turned out just to be some man behind a curtain. And I needed to stop being so angry with him in order to find my home. There are two UU seminaries in the U.S., but I chose to attend a Christian seminary. I needed to realize that Jesus is not the villain of the story. And Eastern Orthodoxy has really wonderful, beautiful attributes. The music, the mysticism. My parents brought me up in a strict, conservative, patriarchal religion that is also ethereal and otherworldly and historical and fascinating. The wizard in The Wizard of Oz was just doing his best. My dad just retired. Just last month, actually. It's been a rocky road over the years with my family. Um, a good example of that is that my wife and I have been married for five years now, and my parents met her less than a year ago. Healing is slow, even when everyone involved wants to heal. So my dad just retired, and the church he founded in Linthicum is going strong, with a young new priest taking over. My parents moved to Tennessee to be close to my brother Steve, five years younger than me, and a priest in his own Greek Orthodox church in Johnson City. And I was able to visit last March. <laughs> it is so weird to get used to people calling my younger brother father. Very weird. Having these elderly Greek ladies say to me, Oh, your father's sister? Like, what? <laughs> No, that's my baby brother. He used to play Nintendo all the time. But at the end of the service, everyone went forward as is tradition and kissed my baby brother's hand. And I went too. And I did it too. And by kissing his hand, I wasn't kissing the idea of the Orthodox Church or endorsing its horrific patriarchy. I was being a minister to him and to myself. I was ministering to our relationship as siblings. You see, a miracle happened. And I'm not one who normally uses the word miracle, but it was a small, everyday, simple thing like clicking your heels together. Not only did I realize that Unitarian Universalism was within me the whole time, 
And like Dorothy, all I had to do was wish for home, and there it had been all along with Ralph Waldo Emerson and Water Communion and Spirit of Life and you and you and you and Carl. (laughs) But the bigger miracle was when I was able to look my brothers and my parents in the eyes and say, I disagree with you. I think what you have chosen to do and how you have chosen to live can be hurtful and destructive. And they can look me in my eyes and say the exact same thing back to me. And then we can step back and love each other anyway. That is the miracle. My journey to Unitarian Universalism involved following a yellow brick road. There was a tornado, there was a witch and a wizard, and I had to find courage and a brain and a heart. And all I have ever wanted is to go back home. And now I'm here. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.